Well, good evening. I'm glad you're here. Um, but I'm also glad that um, we get to talk about this stuff. Um, it's really hard to believe that Easter's two weeks away. You know, it's just, it's going to be, it's, it's crazy, but it's still my favorite time of year. Um, I, I love Easter. I love everything that it means to us. I mean, when you think about the fact that there's a God that loved us so much, he created us. And there's a God that loves us so much that he became one of us. And there's a God that loved us so much that he died for us. And then that love was so strong that not even death could hold in the ground. I mean, that just, it changed everything for us. It changed everything for the whole world. And so Easter just means that much. And that's a celebration we celebrate, but it's a celebration I think we should be celebrating um, every Sunday. Um, that we are just pumped and excited about the idea that Jesus is alive. And, and we get to live that out. But... Um, we have been going through these last statements of Jesus, and they're really short, and they seem really simple, but I think they're some of the most profound things that he ever said, and just kind of refresh our minds and, and remind us, we started a couple of weeks ago with, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The idea is sometimes God feels distant, and what do we do with it? How do we respond to that? And what, what an amazing blessing and reassurance to know that Jesus experienced that. That, you know, God the Son experienced separation from God the Father. That never happened before. And then last week we were talking about um, Father, forgive them. And just how much we've been forgiven. And so how we have to forgive. And, and forgiveness brings us freedom, but it also lets us experience um, the forgiveness that God gives us to fully. If, if we can't forgive, we'll never experience the fullness of, of that. But tonight, um, the shortest statement... Um, uh, of all, and it seems kind of innocuous, and it seems like, wow, that just really doesn't mean much, but it is so deep, and it's so powerful. It's the idea when Jesus said, I thirst. So you have your Bibles turned to John chapter 19. Um, don't have one? Grab one. They're all around. Um, we got plenty for us tonight, so th there's pretty good. But in John chapter 19, um, since there's only a few of us, I'm gonna, th this is the only authority. This, these words are that important because there's only a few of us. I, I won't make you stand tonight and stuff, but just still acknowledge that, man, these words mean everything. Um, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will remain. And so there's no words more important or more powerful than that. So anyway, in John 19, starting in verse 28, John writes this. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. God, I just thank you tonight. God, it doesn't matter if there are two people here or there are 2,000 people here. You're here. God, and um, you have something for us every time we meet, every time we gather. So God, I pray tonight that, um, again, these words would be your words, not mine. God, that you would use them to encourage us, to challenge us, but most of all, to change us. Um, to go full in with you. God, I pray if there's anything that is blocking that, if there's anything that is getting in the way, that tonight would be the night you would reveal that, and that, God, you would just move. And 
that you would get the glory for all this. Father, give us ears to hear, give us hearts to respond. And again, God, just change us for your glory and your honor. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I mean, that seems like a really simple statement, doesn't it? I thirst. I mean, it's it's not it's not really like a huge, huge deal and stuff. And we, we look at that and go, okay, so, so big deal. Of course, Jesus is going to be thirsty. You know, that's verse 28. It says, after this, after all the stuff that he had gone through, all the beatings, the scourgings and stuff, he had, he had fluid loss, blood loss. So you know he was dehydrated. It says, after this, knowing that all was now finished, that it was all done, everything that needed to happen was done, he said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And so at first glance, we're just sitting there going, well, of course Jesus is thirsty. I mean, why, why, after all, everything he's gone through, you know, not sleeping all day, been beaten, all that stuff, the blood loss, the dehydration, of course he's going to be, he's going to be thirsty. And, and as Gentiles, we would look at that and say, well, of course that, but there's this little thing that's added in there. It says, he said, to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. And, and, and the thing about Jesus is his life was so purposeful that there was never a word wasted. That every single word had meaning. He never wasted anything. Like, I mean, I can talk about stupid stuff all the time. My wife hates playing trivia with me because I have like massive amounts of just ridiculous trivia that really just doesn't matter anymore. Like, I know stuff about Disney. I know stuff about Universal. I know stuff, all kinds of little, little interesting facts here and there and all this stuff. But it's all a waste. But Jesus, when he spoke, man, every word mattered. And our problem is a lot of times we approach Scripture as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people, where all of this is based on Jewish and Jewish history. Even everything Jesus said, it, it would make their ears pierce. And so I kind of put this, the idea that when he said, I thirst, I think immediately the Jews that are standing there, they went back to a story. See, because unlike us, their kids, they grew up with the idea that, I mean, by the time they were 13, they memorized the first five books of the Bible. They memorized all the books of Moses. I mean, I, I, could you imagine like that today saying, hey, you want to eat today? Memorize, memorize um, Exodus. You know, and when you're done. But, I mean, that, it was just so ingrained in them and the stories that of their history and, and all that God had done for the people, being the chosen people, it was just ingrained in them from birth. I mean, it was written over their doorposts and mantles. You go out and they're like, recite the, recite the law. And they'd have to recite it to leave the house. I mean, it was that ingrained in them. And so every time someone said something, it would click a story. And I think when Jesus said, I thirst, immediately, I think the Jews standing there thought about the Exodus story. And I think about, it, actually, if you want to read Exodus 7 and 8 this next week, just go and read that story. Because here's the picture. The, the Jews had just been freed from Egypt. Um, they had passed through the Red Sea, dry land. Pharaoh's armies pfft, drowned. I mean, they're, they're gone. By the way, did you hear that they found chariots in the bottom of the Red Sea? Archaeological finds? That's so cool to me. <laughs> I just think, like, ha-ha, right again. Um, but, <laughs> but man, they just gone through the, they're now in the desert. They're kind of roaming a little bit. And so they just seen God work and everything. But what's the first thing they do? They start complaining. That, well, they're in a desert. If you've ever been in a desert, it's not... I don't know how people live in the desert. Like, people that live in Arizona, I just sit there and go, why? Why would you live where there's no water? 
and stuff. And it's just and so they were thirsty. And so they cried out, We thirst. We're dying here. Did you bring us out here to die? Where is God in all this? Where where is God that led us out? Now we're dying of thirst. Just they just opened the Red Sea. So apparently God was tired now and he had to go take a nap in their minds, I guess. But but I mean it's like we thirst. And so the story is that Moses takes a staff and he goes to a rock and he hits the rock and water gushes out and everybody's thirst is quenched. And so I believe with all my heart that when Jesus said, I thirst, he was looking out over that crowd saying, I, I am the rock that was struck for you. And I am the only one that will ever quench your thirst. I mean, we, we can be thirsty, and, and, and we, we know what it's like to be thirsty. And, and that just insatiable, unquenchable thing, Jesus says, I'm the one that brings salvation. Just as the rock did in the desert, that's me now. That was a picture of this day. And so it was without a doubt of the fact that the great I am, God himself, again, he's like, I thirst. I'm the rock. That quenches your thirst. And so I think that's what pictures. And I think this is where Jesus comes. And it makes me think of back in the Sermon on the Mount in um, Matthew 5, 6. Jesus said, blessed are those, happy are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. And, and so the question for us this evening and every day is then what are we thirsting for? What, because there's a lot of thirst. There's phys- I mean, have you ever been really, really thirsty? I mean, so thirsty, like the tongue is sitting on the top of your mouth and like the little punching bag is like stuck to the side somewhere. And you're just like, <coughs> I mean, you just that thirsty. I remember, I don't know if they do them anymore. I don't think they do because we're really like everyone gets a trophy and we're a lot nicer. But when I played football back in high school in Florida, we showed up in August and had a thing called two-a-days. Which means in the morning, we would go run, do calisthenics, all stuff, run through plays. And the coach would wait until it was the hottest part of the day. We'd go have lunch, drink some water. We'd come back, and then we would run until we died for conditioning. And you want to talk about, like, in Florida in August, you know, 170% humidity, which I know is not mathematically possible, but here it is. And, and you're just dying. And just every ounce of moisture is just being sucked out of your body. That is thirst. And so there's physical thirst, but I think there are thirsts that are even greater than that. I, I think there are thirsts in our lives about, you know, a thirst for hope, a thirst for future, a thirst for, you know, relationships have gone bad or, or, or you know, dreams that we had or goals we had we haven't made. Or, you know, I do, I need hope or I need some kind of purpose or direction in my life. And that thirst is so unquenchable. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do I thirst for? And I think Jesus talks a lot about this. In fact, turn over to John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to look at another one of these stories um, that Jesus says. And I love I love that Jesus talked in parables. I love that he would tell stories and that he was the greatest storyteller ever. Um, but I also love that he always interact with people. That it wasn't he wasn't ever like not approaching. In fact, Jesus was never too busy to take time for somebody. Isn't that amazing? 
never, I mean, we, over and over we see in Scripture the story of, like, you know, the, the religious leader of the town comes and his daughter is sick. And, and it's like, Jesus, come and heal her. And they're fighting through the crowd. And, and the woman with the blood issue that, that just, just touches his hymn, he stops. And this woman that hadn't been acknowledged in years, she stops and acknowledges her and her faith and stuff. You know, or they're headed to Jerusalem. It's, it's like next week is Palm Sunday. They're heading into that, and there's a crowd cheering. And on the side of the road, there's some blind guy just going, Son of David, you can heal me. Heal me. And everyone, all the crowd is like, Shut up, dude. We're going to Jerusalem, man. We're busy. Except Jesus is like, No, stop. You know, and listen, I, I told him this morning, I'll tell you, don't ever, ever believe the lie that God or Jesus is too busy for us, for you. He will always stop. In the most strangest places, he will stop. It doesn't matter. And so I love that. And so this is a story of one of those interactions which totally broke the cultural norm. So in, in John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. What was happening is the Pharisees were like, he's getting popular. We need to stop him. And so he's like, okay, not yet. I'm going to go to Galilee. And so in verse 4 he says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journeys, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon and stuff, walking through the desert. And I don't know if you've ever been in a desert or you've seen a desert, but by about noon, it's just it looks like a microwave. Just the heat's like coming up. The sun's been baking and everything. And so, of course, yeah, and they didn't have Uber, you know. <laughs> so he, they walked everywhere. Stuff, which, by the way, one day we'll talk about Jesus washing his feet. It makes it a lot more disgusting what Jesus did when they walked with sandals or barefoot everywhere. So, of course, he's tired. And so it's about noon. He stops at this well. And verse 7 it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to him, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And, and so the question again is, what are you thirsty for? And what's interesting about the story, if you, if you don't know a lot of the history, is Samaritans and Jews hated each other. The Jews hated Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews. In fact, really the history of Samaria and all that part is they were the ten northern tribes that, you know, they split off um, after Solomon and they became two, you know, the northern tribes and, and then Judah and, and all this stuff. But they were the ones that intermarried and they got, they got deported and taken away. They came back and so they finally all resettled on that. But when they all came back, the Jews and Judah would look at them and say, you are no longer real Jews. Your blood's not pure anymore. You're all like mixed up and said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And, and matter of fact... If I was going, you know, if I'm going to Galilee, and it would take me less than a day or a day to walk through Samaria, or it would take me an extra three or four days to walk around, I would walk around. That I mean, that's how big. So it was just crazy that Jesus not only walked there, but then he started talking to her. And, and he started to doing that. They were the enemy of Jews. And, but not only that, is this woman had baggage. 
in, in a lot of it because you know generally you know noon it's hot and so the whole town would come out in the morning to get water from the well they would get the water they need for them they would go back so obviously this woman didn't want to hang out it's her town but she didn't want to be seen by the other people there was stuff going on and so she's sitting there going like i'm going to come at noon when nobody else is there because i just need a little peace and and all this and of course by noon can you imagine she's thirsty the truth is is we're all thirsty we all have things that is just unquenchable in us and we just we don't know what to do with it and we try to fill it we try to use all kinds of stuff, and it just seems like oh, I'm still just thirsty. I'm not full. And so here's this woman that has baggage, and yet Jesus meets her right where she's at, just like he does with us. meets us right where we're at in the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of all that. And so understanding, okay, I'm thirsty. There's something in my life that's not being quenched. There's something in my life not being filled. This woman thought she just needed a jar of water. And she found out that she needed a whole lot more and stuff. Because I love how Jesus is in that. If you knew the gift and who's talking to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so immediately that piques the woman's interest. And so if we're really thirsty and we know we're always thirsty, then how do we quench our thirst? How do we take care of it? Because so often I think we use so many different things and we try that and it's frustrating. And it's exhausting because our thirst is never quenched. Look, look at verse 11. Verse 11, the, one, the woman said to him, Sir, <laughs> you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And she's like, dude, this sounds awesome. I love this idea of living water, but how are you going to get it? I don't see a bucket. I don't see a rope. I, don't, I mean, I, I want this water and everything. And the truth is that she heard this, and she's like, she didn't get it. She's still thinking in jars of water. And I think it's the same thing for us is we don't get it. See, we have a thirst that's unquenchable, whatever that is, whether it's you know friendships or, or, or hope or, or purpose or meaning or any of that stuff. And we, have thirst, and we start looking everywhere. And we're going to this well and that well, and we get it, and we're like, oh, that was good, I got it. And then we just find ourselves thirsty again. We look in all the wrong places to quench the thirst that we can't quench ourselves, and nobody else can. And, and so, so it, it, it goes on a little bit here. It goes on, look, look, look on, after that it says, you know, are you greater than our father Jacob? And then 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks at this well will be thirsty again. Because you're choosing the wrong place. You drink here, fine, it's going to quench you just for a moment, but that thirst is going to come back. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. See, she, she kept looking in all the wrong places. Her reputation was ruined. You know, she, she was that girl in the town. And everybody knew it. And so she couldn't hang out. So she didn't have the relationship. She didn't have a stuff. And she just like, I just want, I'm tired of being thirsty. And I think sometimes we get that way. 
And we say, well, maybe this will quench me. Maybe if I have the right job or I have the right house or I have the right husband or, or wife or the right boyfriend or girlfriend, if I, if I have enough money, if I have this, if I have this, the problem is, is that when we keep taking everything other than Jesus, all it does is make us thirstier. See, Jesus is the only one who quenches. That's what he's saying. It's like, you know, I'm going to give you water, and you will never be thirsty again. And she's still like, I, I want this. I want this. But but you, you still have to deal with it. Like, if you want to read some good reading, read read 4, 16 and on. Read, read the rest of the chapter, like 14, because Jesus starts getting down to the heart of the matter, which I love. That Jesus always gets to the heart of the matter. He, it's never about like behavior or this stuff. It's about what's going on in the heart, what, what's happening there. Because he looks at her and says, all right, cool. You want this water? Go get your husband. She's like, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus like, you're right. You've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. See, the issue wasn't that she didn't have anything to draw the well. It's like she was looking for other places like we do. And so, of course, she was still thirsty. And she's dealing with sin. And the problem with sin, and we don't like it, and we don't like to talk about it, but the problem with sin is that it only fills for just a quick moment. And then it makes us thirstier than we were ever before. That's what was causing her thirst. She was looking in all the wrong places. And that's what we do. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I'm a workaholic. And so sometimes, like this week, my wife is gone. She's visiting her sister down in Naples, and so it's just me and Mamu, you know, and we're, we're hanging out, but man, I'm, I, I gotta work like three or four days this week, and I got all the church stuff, and I'll just throw myself into that, because it'll make time go, but that's how, like, it's a thirst, because I, I thirst for, to be with my wife in a relationship there, and stuff, or, or I want the church to succeed, so okay, I'm gonna try this harder, and I'm gonna do this harder, and let's just try this thing, and, and, and so we look all these places, and we just find out, like, man, I'm still thirsty, and it doesn't get any better because Jesus is the only quench. Because we have to deal with the heart issue. This is why I will never teach a behavioral gospel here. It's not a true gospel. And so many churches do. I'm not going to tell you, don't drink, don't cuss, don't chew, don't date girls that do, or guys that do. Because it's, it's the heart that is, is the important thing. And if we can get that right, if we can get that said, then it will change everything. You see, because I think, I think all of us at some point in our life, we're the needy. You know, we're, we're those people that are like, I need, I need this, I need that, I need. Will you do this for me? Will you do that for me? And it's so sad because in our culture, we've become a needy culture. We've become a welfare state where it's like, I need cell phones, so the government should give me cell phones, and let's give everyone a cell phone. Or I need this, I need that. And everything, and I have nothing against um, us helping out those who are less unfortunate, help them get on their feet. But the problem is, is we've made it such a cultural and societal thing that no one is trying to get themselves out of those places anymore. They just rather stay because you just give me, give me, give me, and that's how we are. And isn't that how we treat God so many times? God, I need this. I need a house. I need a boat. I need a car. I mean, I prayed for years. God, if I had a boat, I would be a fisher of men. I mean, I could take people out. It'd be a ministry tool. And it's not. I mean. We, we, we're so needy, but the truth is, is what the gospel does is what Jesus did for us is it's to transform us from being needy to being needed. You know, I, I have friends that, uh, that, are, that are in Africa that deal with like famine relief and stuff like that. And they have to be really, really careful because they'll go to a village that's maybe struck by famine or drought and they try to not get the word out. They don't want anybody to know that they're bringing food there. 
Because literally what will happen is if there's 200 people in the village, they'll bring food for 200 people. The surrounding villages will hear, and they'll leave their farms that are good and their cattle and all their livestock, and they will come there and get the free food. And so we've created this. Well, and then they'll take that grain, and they'll make alcohol out of it instead of feed their kids. And so what was 200 people will become 2,000 people in a week. Because we're needy. But I think God, Jesus came so that we would stop being needy and then we would be needed. And that, wouldn't that be nice if you were the person that they called? I mean, that's my heart for this church, that we would be needed, that this community will weep if this church closes. And it doesn't mean that, man, you know, our coffers are not that full. I mean, we don't have a ton of money. You know, and I have people call me on here all the time, leaving messages. Hey, we had this. I had a guy call this morning before service, and he was like, yeah, I did this. And he goes through this long story. I'm like, man, this sounds so familiar and everything. I just I remember this and everything. And he finally got to the point. He says, yeah, and well, I need a bus pass and I need food and everything. So if I could get some money. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. We are a really small church. I mean, I don't really even get paid. And, and, and we just we have no extra money. But, I mean, we'll pray and I'll see if I can't get you connected with you. As soon as I said it, no money hung up. And I was like, wait a minute. And so when people call or we help people, I write it down. And I look back and says, oh, he called six months ago. And his daughter just got out of the hospital then, too, but she had cancer. Um, and then, but it was the exact same guy. Be, because we get, and I'm not saying, listen, we don't help people, and we want to be a place, but I'm just, I feel like Peter, you know, right now. When he walked into the temple, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I will freely give. You know, if we have a little bit extra, we'll help. But we can surely tell you about Jesus, and we can help you with that. And so, so that that that's the goal. See, because the truth is, is when we look to Christ to quench our thirst, He doesn't just quench it. He does so much more. Look back at verse fourteen. Look at what it says. It says, "But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That thirst that you have, that desire, that thing that is unquenchable, will be quenched." But, it says, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is the picture. Um, that is a picture of what they would know as an artesian well. You know what an artesian well is? Is we have them in Florida. It's literally like it's water that's just flowing underneath and, and um, like springs and stuff. But there's so much pressure that if you drill a hole, it just comes shooting out. Like you don't need a pump for it. It just keeps coming. And that's what he's saying. That, that's the picture in the Greek, they're saying, listen, I'm not only going to quench your thirst, but I'm going to fill you so much that it's going to come gushing out. It's going to come gushing out, and you're going to be able to do what I do. You're going to bless other people, and you, you can't just keep it to yourself. It, it's got to flow out of you. You can't do that. In fact, that's exactly what happened. If you go to the end of the chapter, verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Isn't that amazing? This one woman changed an entire town. And so that encourages me today when I look at it. It says, can, you know, we're like, we're a small church. There's only like 30 people. And if we're lucky, there's five of us on Sunday nights. And so, you know, what can we do? We don't really have all that stuff. Really, one woman changed a town. So God doesn't look at like, well, how much do you have? Because he has all the resources. He's just looking for someone who says, will you be that well? 
Well, when I pour into you, pour out to others, because I think if God blesses us, I think if God blesses us financially and blesses an individual financially, that's awesome. I have nothing against rich people. I think we need rich people, but I think God does that so that they can be a blessing to someone else. And by the way, I think he blesses poor people and middle class people, too, that we have more than we ever had. And so someone says, well, I can't give anything. I can't be generous. That is a lie. Because God gives us so much, and I think God gives us so much that we would be a blessing to others. And so we have to move from being needy to the needy. In, in fact, and, and I know some people this morning and, and even tonight, we may be looking at it and says, well, Pat, that's great. That's a wonderful Bible story. But it was different then. I mean, Jesus was right there. What can we do now? Look at the world. We can't do anything now. Really? Because my Bible says that Jesus actually said we'll do more than he ever did. In fact, that, that's what it says in, 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 um, in John 14. Jesus, before he even goes to the cross and all that stuff, he says, truly, truly, not just one truly, 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 I say to you. And by the way, whenever you see that in the Bible, it's twice, it's like I'm making a point here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that not only will you do what I do, this is the man that walked on water. This is the man that raised people from the dead. This is the man that healed people. This is the man that preached without a sound system to probably thousands of people on the side of a mountain. This is the man that's done. He says, listen, you're going to do what I do, and you're going to do more than I ever did. Because I'm going to fill you, and it's going to flow out of you. And it's going to gush out of you. But we have to, we have to let it. See, see I, I, I just, let me break down the entire Christian life for you. I mean, just very simple and stuff. It's, it's three words. Need, seed, feed. So, so here's the, it, it starts with need. We have needs. We, we come to Jesus. We're broken. We, 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 we are in need of a Savior. We have, we have a thirst that can't be quenched. And so we come to him, and Jesus meets us there with love, because the need requires love. That's what he does there, the Samaritan woman, that no Jew would probably talk to. And plus, she was a woman, too, and he's a guy. I mean, you want to talk about like a double kind of like, ooh, this is really weird. You know, Jewish men didn't talk to women, not even Jewish women, you know, because, I'm sorry, they were like property. They were treated poorly and, and everything. But then also a Samaritan woman, but he still meets her right. And, and so, so he sees the need, and he meets it with love. And so the need always requires love. And so when God meets us, when Jesus meets us, he meets us because he loves us right where we're at. <coughs> and, and, and when we accept we start experiencing that then our eyes are opened and, and I think we start seeing the need around us you know and uh, listen there are so many I can't I, know, I can't say this word this morning philo philanthropic hey I said it this time and I was like just generous people um but they're they're great people thank God for like Bill Gates he wants to give his money to like schools and and all these things but Bill Gates does that honestly I think because you know one, he feels like I've got to, I've got to make myself good. Because one, I think most people do try to do good things to weigh the scales. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about that we see the needs. I mean, wh when's the last time your heart ached for the people in your neighborhood? 
And you saw them just walking around knowing like, man, they don't know anything. They're lost and don't even know it. They don't have any hope. Or, or you walk around Disney or your job and stuff. I, I'm at Universal all the time. I just see people walking through like, and you like kid, kid smiling. And then dad's just like, oh, this is going to cost me thousands of dollars. And, and you just see the weight on people. And so when, when we, our need is met by Jesus, when he meets us there, it opens our eyes um, because we start loving. Because we're loved. And, and then the next thing that happens is, is the seed happens. You know, seed requires hope. Is that we came to Jesus because we hoped that there was an answer, that there was something that's going to give me meaning and purpose. And so that seed was planted in our hearts at some time. And, and it's grown. And it's spread. And it made more seeds. And it's all just kind of flowing into us. And it, it just kind of overwhelms us with that seed but the question is then is what do we do with all that extra seed we cast it out we should be planting seeds of hope we should be doing this see we've gone we've gone from need you know the needs met now our need is met so now we're full of like seed and like hey we have hope i can pass this out to other people and we cast the seed and that's what i'm always saying here listen nobody in this church nobody in any church on this planet is going to save anybody it's not our job Jesus takes care of that. He did it on the cross. I mean, if you think you can, I'm going to fill this place with water, and I'm going to let you walk on it, then I'm going to look for some scars, and then if I see all that, we're going to talk. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This Nobody else. It's only Jesus. All we have to do is cast the seed, the hope that's been given us. We just keep casting it out and seeing it, and let God deal with it. Let God leave the outcome to God. And we do that because, man, we should be overflowing. Again, and then finally, finally, we are fed, and we get to feed. And to feed, it requires faith. And this is where we move from being needy to the needed. This is where we get away from, like, I need, I need, I need, to, God, what can I do to make a difference? You have, you have filled me you have overwhelmed me what what do i do with this and, and then i feed and truth is our faith has to move us to action you know our faith it can't be stagnant it can't be a sunday night thing or a sunday morning thing it can't be a bible study thing our faith has to move us to action in fact jesus brother james that's what he says he figured it out after jesus left he says listen in james 2 18 but some will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this is not saying I'm going to earn my way to heaven. I have to work myself into a relationship. No, it's saying because I have that relationship, because that hope has been flooded into me, because my thirst has been quenched, that moves me that I have to work. I have to go and do stuff and I have to spread this and, and share this and I have to be obedient. And so I don't just sit around and just go like, ooh, glub, 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 just keep filling me, keep filling me because there's, it's got to come out. You know, he says, if, if you have faith and there's no action applied to it, then your faith is dead. It's not real faith. Our faith makes us go and do this. See, I think we have an opportunity. I think we have an opportunity to never be thirsty again, to thirst no more. To, to, not, to not 
sit there and just be like, ah, oh, I just, I don't know. I just, I need, I need to go from that to being needed, to be people that someone calls upon and says, I, I love it. The, you know, at Universal, the word has gotten around that I'm a pastor. You know, and it's funny because, like, I'll be sitting working with somebody and, and someone come on and say, hey, you know he's a pastor? And they're like, oh, I've been cussing for, like, five hours, you know, in front of him. And that's the pastor. I'm like, yes, you have. Thank you. What's your name so I get it right at my sermon Sunday? And, you know, and it's a lot of fun. But also, people have been coming up. I met a guy this week. He lost a family member. I just saw in his face. And I was like, hey, I heard this. I, I don't mean anything, but, man, if I just pray for you, I'd love to just pray for you. A few hours later, someone comes up to me and says, hey, could you pray for a friend of mine? Because our faith has action. It can't just stay inside, and, and, and we don't have to thirst anymore. And so, really, I think there's only three types of people. I think there's one, there are people dying of thirst. That there, are, there are people that are trying to quench that thirst with whatever they can, with everything else, and they're finding out it's not working. And they're, they're just that tongue is stuck to the roof of the mouth, and they're just, I'm just so thirsty. But I think there's those that have received Christ. You know, those those dying of thirst, they don't know Jesus. And so the sad thing is they don't even know they're dying. But then there's some that know him, that, that have met him, maybe made a decision at one time, but they've done nothing with it. And I think that God just fills them and they're drowning. You know, because what, what happens when you take when you take a bunch of water and you put it like in a bucket and just let it sit there? It gets nasty. It gets green and like things grow in it and stuff like that. It gets stagnant. And I think there are so many people that follow Christ that it's stagnant because that water that we're filled with, that well that's supposed to be, has to flow out of us. You know, if you you go to a pond and stuff and there's nothing flowing into it, eventually that pond's going to die. Water's got to move. It's got to keep going, flowing in fresh water. It's like Lake Apopka. It's like a horrible lake to go fishing in because they're like, they dump chemicals except one place. There's a place called the Boils, and it's where the springs come up, and it's all fresh water right there. And there's a ton of fish over there. There's plenty of life over there, but because there's so refreshing, because there's a place for the water to come. And so I think those of us that are just sitting there going like, I, I have no power in my faith. I have no joy in my faith. I have nothing. It's because we're stagnant, because Jesus has filled us, and yet we didn't let it come out. And then finally, there's people that it's just pouring out. And those are the people you see joy, no matter what happens. You see peace, no matter, because they are just pouring out. It's just flowing, gushing out of them. Every day they're looking for opportunities. Every day they're finding opportunities to speak love and hope and joy to other people. And they're sharing the gospel and they're living it out. And it's pouring out. And that's, that's what we're called to be. And when we're doing that, we will never be thirsty. It's... It, it's like the magic trick where you pour the glass and it never stops flowing because he's got like a hose stuck in his hand. And you're like, that's amazing. The glass is never getting empty. That's what Jesus promises. We will never be empty as long as we're pouring out what he's put into us. It's amazing. We get filled, but, but we, we're called to do that. I love John Piper, one, one of my favorite people. He says this. He says, the key to Christian living is a thirst and hunger for God. And one of the main reasons people do not understand or experience the sovereignty of grace and the way it works through the awakening of sovereign joy is that their hunger and thirst for God is so small. I, I just, 
I think there's so many people that are going to walk in here on Easter morning. And it's the only time they go to church. And they're going to leave still thirsty. Because they think that'll be enough. <coughs> if I show up on Christmas, if I show up on Easter. There are people that show up here Sunday after Sunday. And they think, oh, that'll be enough. I just get a little bit of singing. I get a little bit of Bible. Somebody preaching at me. Okay. And yet they're still thirsty. I promise you, we will never, never, God will never run out of supply to fill us. But it's got to flow out. So when Jesus said, I thirst, he's saying, I'm the one that quenches your thirst. And so what we do with that is on us. And the way we live that is we let it flow. We have to.